listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, October the 4th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Mondays, we like to look at maybe a lesson for the following Sunday, which is the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, October the 10th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. The Old Testament reading is from Amos. The epistle is from Hebrews, and the gospel is from Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. I've done a lot of adult instruction in my ministry, and there are a few verses that always are lesson number one in regard to adult instruction. And the goal I have is to prepare them for the following lessons on the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. So to prepare them, I want them to understand the distinction between law and gospel. That distinction is very important and helps solve a lot of apparent contradictions in the Bible. There are no contradictions in the Bible, and law and gospel helps us to sort those out. So, this particular week goes Mark 10, 17 to 22. Now, I, I don't know why they don't finish with the rest of the verses. We'll bring them up next week, but at least we'll have the early verses of Jesus and the rich man and give an indication of law and gospel. So beginning with verse 17, and Jesus was setting out on his journey. Now, what was his journey? To obey the mission of his father, to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now we've talked about this before, that there are two kinds of theology in the Bible. There's biblical theology and then the Bible talks also about everyday theology. Everyday theology is what most people think the Bible teaches, but it really doesn't. And you can often understand what everyday theology is by listening to their questions. Pastors need to really be alert in listening to members of the congregation to see where their everyday theology is. Because everyday theology comes from the old Adam and is therefore an error when it comes to Scripture. So, one could say that the rich man is asking Jesus how to get to heaven. Now, 
we know that the way to get to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ, that is, in his promises about the forgiveness of sins, heaven as your home, that on the day of judgment, your spirit, which may be in heaven because of death, will be rejoined to your body in the grave, and you will be in heaven forever and ever. And that occurs through faith in Jesus Christ. So one would expect that Jesus would answer the question about how to get to heaven by believing in him. But what does he say? He begins by saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now that's a very important fact to remember that here Jesus is saying that if you call me good, which he was, therefore he must be God. And therefore, we need to listen to the word of God. In last week's lesson from Hebrews, we learned that we had to pay closer attention to what we have heard from the Bible so that we do not fall into sinfulness and unbelief. Notice that one is saved not by obedience, but by hearing the word of God, particularly the gospel, which alone brings salvation. So, one would expect Jesus to say, well, believe in me. But what does he say? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now, what Jesus is recounting are the commandments from Exodus 20. So one would expect that the rich man realizes he's not obedient to these commandments, but he has a different view of the commandments than does Jesus. Because what does he say in verse 20 of Mark 10? Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. How can anybody say that? That after hearing a recounting of some of the commandments, they think they have been obedient from their youth. See, part of the ministry that Jesus had was to explain how God thinks about the commandments. And one of the best places to look at that is the Sermon on the Mount. Because what does Jesus say? You've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. And most Jews would say, well, I haven't murdered anybody. But then Jesus continues, but I say unto you, whoever has a bad thought against his neighbor, whoever has a bad word 
that hurts and harms your neighbor. That is breaking the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. So what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he explains that sins are not just what we do, but also what we say and what we think. There's no one who has not broken the commandments of God, if not by deed, by word, or by thought. In fact, we say that often in confession of sins, that we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed. Now, why is that important? Because if you don't include at times thoughts and words, and you're under the impression that you haven't done a bad deed, then you will be like this rich ruler. Oh, I've been a good person since my youth. So we have two problems here. Number one, Jesus doesn't tell him how to get to heaven. And number two, he thinks that he's sinless. So why does this happen? It happens because Jesus listened carefully to the question of the rich man. Remember I said there's a difference between biblical theology and everyday theology. The rich man is thinking of everyday theology. And where does he get everyday theology from? He gets it from his own experience. When he was in school, he was able to go to the next grade because of what he had done on his tests. When he was working, he was able to get a promotion because what he had done in his work. Maybe he was early to work, got his work done, stayed later, and was a very faithful employee. And so he got a promotion. Even in marriage, he was able to marry the person he wanted because in their engagement period, he would do what she wanted, going to, say, her movies, her restaurants, etc., in order to get her to agree to marry him. So his whole life has been one in which what he does makes a difference in his future. Therefore, it makes sense to ask the question and listen carefully to his question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you stop and think about that question, that doesn't even make sense. What does a person do to inherit anything? Uh, a lot of times, the person writing his last will and testament leaves something to someone else 
not so much because what they have done, but because who they are. Like a father will leave his possessions to his children. And they may be divided up into different amounts of money, different possessions, etc. That was because they were begotten by him. They didn't do anything to become his child. It just was a fact. Now, there's no doubt occasionally someone will leave part of his will to another individual who has done something. For example, a man may have visited the same restaurant for years in the morning to have breakfast and the waitress really took care of him, he may leave her some of his money in thankfulness to how she had dealt with him in a wonderful way. But normally, in a will and testament, it's because of how you are related to the person that you inherit anything. Now, he got the word inherit from Scripture, that it says you will inherit. But he misunderstood it to think that, therefore, he had to do something. And that's why he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus answers that question. Oh, you want to do something in order to get to heaven? Well, you know the commandments, and he names some of them. And the rich man is under the delusion that if he would do these commandments, then he would be going to heaven. So he says to Jesus, well, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, when Jesus hears that from someone, what do you think his attitude is? Does he dislike the person because the person is thinking he is saved by his own works rather than the works of God? No, the next phrase is very interesting. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved him. Reminds us of John 3.16. For God so loved not just the believers, but the world. He loved them. It's kind of like a, a parent towards a child. At times, even if the child is arrested for robbing a bank, the mother or father will remain with the child during the court time, loving the child, trying to help them out. It doesn't really matter what the child is accused of or what he's found to be in judgment of. The parent will still love him. That's what Jesus is towards every person in the world. He loves that person because originally that person was created in the image of God in Adam and Eve. 
And we fell from that image through sin. We lost that righteousness. But God so loves us that he wants to bring to us and return to us that righteousness which saves. And how does he declare someone to be righteous? If you recall Abraham, he believed the promise of God that he and his elderly wife would still have a child named Isaac. Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. Abraham was 100, and he believed that promise of God. And through that belief, God declared him to be righteous. So why is Jesus telling someone who's asking, how do I get to heaven? Why is Jesus telling him about the commandments? Because he's not answering the question, how do I get to heaven? He's answering the question, what he would have to do to get to heaven. And there's no doubt, had Adam and Eve never sinned, they would be going to heaven because of their obedience. Because believing in God, they therefore did not sin, such as they would not have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan, as wise as he is, gave the impression that God didn't want them to eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil because they would then become like God, knowing good and evil. Well, it wasn't the knowing good and evil that motivated Eve and Adam to eat. It was the idea that they could become like God. And that's very important to understand in teaching adult instruction that every time we sin, it's because we think in that way we can become like God. We put ourselves ahead of God and therefore do it from a selfish reason. Now, when the rich man says, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth, Jesus still loved him, even though he knew he had a wrong understanding of salvation. And so Jesus says, you lack one thing. Now, what Jesus is meaning here is that, well, here's one thing of about a thousand others that you lack. But let me share with you one thing you lack. And then Jesus says, you want to get to heaven by your works? Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, remember, this is a rich man. People are not saved because they are rich. Rich people are not saved because they trust in their money. 
more than in God. In fact, they give the impression that they have received money because God so loves them. And therefore, individuals who do not receive what they have received, and in fact receive worse, like becoming blind, becoming lame, not really realizing all the goodness of their health, guess what? They are not even permitted in the temple because the Jewish leaders at that time thought that was a punishment by God against them. And therefore, they weren't permitted into the temple proper. So, when Jesus says, here's what you're lacking, he's really saying, you trust in your money, but if you would give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying. Now, the rich man is disheartened. Why? Because what Jesus is telling him is to give away that which he thinks is very precious in his life, that which is a reward from God for being such a good person. And he cannot understand what Jesus is saying. So the verse continues, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Yes, having great possessions can be a temptation from the devil that you don't have to worry about going to heaven because if you have great possessions, if you are rich, this is God's way of saying to you that you have met his criteria for going to heaven. And therefore, those riches are a signal to you that heaven will be your home. It reminds us of the rich man and Lazarus. This is a different Lazarus than the brother of Mary and Martha who died and was raised. But this is a parable that when he dies, he goes to heaven and the rich man dives, he does not go to heaven. And he dives asks Abraham, go back and tell my brothers what's in store for them because they don't have faith in God. And what does Abraham say? They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, they won't even listen to someone who rises from the dead. And when Lazarus rose from the dead, what was the goal of some of the religious leaders in Judaism? Was to put Lazarus to death because his resurrection, coupled with the words of Jesus, were moving more people to trust in Jesus than they were in Judaism. And of course, when Jesus rose from the dead, they considered it a trick of Beelzebub. 
It's not that they denied that he rose from the dead, but they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And so what's the law and gospel here? The law accuses us of thinking that we're going to get to heaven, we're going to get to heaven not really by inheriting it, but by meriting it. That's why he says, I've done all these things from my youth. I certainly have merited a place in heaven, but he has not. Because heaven is not something we merit by our works. It's something we inherit through faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith trumps how we regard money. We regard money as a gift from God to be shared with others who are in need. And therefore, we not only give to church, but we may give to other locations where the needy are being helped. And that's because since we so love Jesus, we also love our neighbor. Remember, the summary of the commandments, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your might, with all your strength, with your whole life, and your neighbor as yourself. Next week, we'll finish Mark chapter 10, what Jesus says after the disciples ask him some questions. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll take a look at the hymn, Thee Will I Love, My Strength, My Tower. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.